As I said last week, we are going to be um, preaching repentance. How many remember that from last week? None of you. Oh, one of you. Oh, that's good. Two of you. That's good. Repentance. What is repentance? And the reason we are, this is quite interesting. We're in the book of Jonah. We just have preached through his prayer. And he was all religious and right, right? He was, you know, I'm, I'm the one going to the temple, and I'm not like the heathen. And, 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 and basically, he's being proud. One thing that was missing through that whole prayer, not once, is there a confession of sin and repentance of heart. Not once. Jonah, you were wrong in disobeying God. Amen? The reality is all of us are like Jonah in a sense. We do not obey God all the time. How many would say that that's true? We do not obey God all the time. We disobey. And the reality is this idea of repentance is mandatory for Christians. If you are going to, we just read Psalm 32. I mean, that is phenomenal about how if we don't confess, how it eats us up alive inside. How many understand that? There needs to be a repentance. And Jonah didn't do that as far as we know up to the end of chapter 2. Because, again, I'm going to tell you my theory. I think the reality is he had to have repented eventually. Because why in the world would he be so open about his wicked sin throughout and be published in Scripture. How many understand that? In essence, his repentance was the book of Jonah. This is what I did. Don't be doing this. How many understand that? I think it's very possible that that is his But regardless, during his prayer, talking with the Lord, there's no repentance. There's no uh, uh, asking for forgiveness of sin. None of that is in there. Not at all. And I wonder how many of us go through life without repenting as believers. God, I'm sorry. I was wrong. This was wicked. Forgive me. If that hasn't happened to you, then you must be a sinless creature. How many understand that? And none of us are sinless creatures. All of us sin. And we are all in the same boat. All of us are sinners. And this morning, I'm going to read to you. I have... Oh, let me see here. Uh, I believe I have 32 pages of notes today. Are you ready? Here's the reality. Um, Psalm 32 talks about repentance. I'm going to do that to start with. And, and this is what it looks like. Then we're going to go to what is repentance and, and as a believer, that first part. The second part, what is repentance? Because so many times we just think, I don't know, I'm, uh, I'm saying sorry. Okay, well, is it more than that? And so what does that look like? And we're, 
I'm going to use, and by the way, all these are m- multiple people. How many remember or have heard of R.C. Sproul? R.C. Sproul does a great job with repentance. Uh, I disagree with him on other things, but on repentance, he does a really good job. And then there's this, this young guy called uh, Peter Gaiman. I don't know if you saw his last, this week's post on how is faith enough? Or is it just faith alone? How many read that? Uh, that was this week, and, and that ties right into this. People think it's just believe and do whatever you want. There is a sense of repentance at the moment of salvation. The Bible demands faith and repentance. Why in the world did Jesus, did God Almighty go to tell Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach what? Repentance. What is he constantly telling Israel to do what? Repent. The scribes and Pharisees while he was there, what was he telling them to do? Repent. You go into the Acts and some people say, well, you're not dispensational because repentance is only an Old Testament thing. Baloney. Amen. That's not true. Acts is full of repentance. Peter's full of repentance. Oh, Peter's not Paul and they talk different gospels. That's a lie. There is no salvation without repentance and faith. Both are demanded. This idea that sin like you want and just believe that there's a Jesus, that's a problem. That has nothing to do with repentance. And so we'll, how many think understanding what repentance is is important? And so we're going to, I've got all of this information. Now, I've given credit to credits due. It's not my sermon per se, but I think it's important for talking about Jonah because Jonah didn't repent. And his his attitude then going to the job he was told was not that of a godly person. How many understand that? He had the poochie lip disease. How many know what a poochie lip disease is? The poochie lip will get you if you don't squash it out, right? It's like, I'm not getting my way. I'm going to just, okay, God, I'll just say, repent, repent, repent. It was like he had an attitude the whole time he was preaching. You can read it yourself and see that. He missed out on the greatest joy God had for his life. To be used by God to see possibly millions come to know the Lord, come to repentance, would that be awesome or what? Wow. And he was just, he went up on a hill and he wanted to see the fireworks. And all he saw was sackcloth, ashes, weeping, and above all, repentance. Something he did not talk about when he talked to God in chapter 2. How many of you realize why we're talking about repentance? All right. So, there are three of them that we're going to be discussing. I'm going to start with uh, uh, chapter 32 of Psalms that was just read. The importance of repentance is hard to overstate. After all, Jesus' first public exhortation in Mark chapter 1 was to do what? Repent. And if it was that high on Jesus' lift, we probably should pay attention to that. 
Matter of fact, to be honest with you, the free grace movement has been a movement of no, no repentance. Now, instead of no repentance, let me redefine the repentance. Because they can't say no repentance because repentance is strewn throughout the whole of Scripture. But we can now water it down. It's just an intellectual change of mind. Well, the reality is, when you break the word down, it is mind-changing. But it's mind-changing that affects other things. I would say, if you want to get it as close to a small word as you can, or a phrase as you can, the definition of repentance, repentance is a change of heart. It's a change of heart. What does that mean? I love differently. I think differently. I walk differently. I go differently. It's all different. I'm not what I used to be. I've changed my heart from what it was. God did, by the way, and we'll see that in a little bit. How do we repent well? Psalm 32 is a wonderful place to explore the nature and process of a deep repentance. Number one, verse two says, how happy is the man that the Lord does not charge with sin and in whose spirit is no deceit. In other words, if there's nothing in your life that is hindering your walk with Christ, isn't it awesome? I mean, all the baggage. Do you remember uh, um, the Pilgrim's Progress? Gets up to the cross, and what happens to his baggage? Falls off. What What a relief when you lie to somebody. When you are talking behind other people's backs, and then you see them. Don't you just want to go up and say, I love you, you're so great. And have those gushy feelings in your heart. You avoid them, don't you? Why? Why do we avoid them? And, and when we talk with a person that we lied to, why do we be very careful about how we parse our words? Right? Because we lied to them, i got to keep this lie going. Let me ask you, is that lie hindering your joy in Christ? Yes or no? Absolutely. Is that talking bad about somebody behind their back, hurting them with their walk with Christ? Do they, are they, are they, um, do they have joy in their life? I can talk. How many hate it when you just, you see somebody and you have to avoid them? You ever done that in Walmart? It's easy to do. I mean, you go watch the circus, right? <laughs> you go in there and, oh, there they are. I got to go this way. I hope I don't see them. How many have ever felt that way? And sometimes it's because you've sinned against them. The reality is, the Bible says, how happy is the man the Lord does not charge with sin, in whose spirit is no deceit. In other words, he hasn't sinned against somebody, and if he has, he's done what? Repented of that sin and gotten right with the Lord, and now is free. How many see that? I will tell you, governments are so full of deceit and lies, they don't know what to say now. They don't. They've lied so much, they don't know what's true anymore. It's so bad that they actually think that men are women and women are men. 
That's how bad the deceit has gotten. Repentance, we find, first of all, requires honesty. Be honest about your need for repentance. There's not a one person in here who doesn't need repentance. Not one. Amen. All of us need repentance. Be honest about our needs. Repentance, it it requires honesty. No one comes to God with true repentance in their heart unless they've first acknowledged their need for forgiveness and reconciliation with Him. Forgive me, Father. Lord God Almighty, I have sinned against you. Anything that is in a disobedience to God, is that a sin? Is that an affront to God? Amen. Absolutely it is. Confess it to Him. Only those who have ceased trying to cover up their sin with self-righteousness and deceit can experience the deep and lasting change that comes only through repentance. Amen. You want to get it right. You've hurt somebody. Get it right. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Do you know how... Asking for forgiveness, is that hard? Yeah. But is it refreshingly freedom? Absolutely. Absolutely. So number one, be honest about your need. Verse two is very clear. Verse three and four says this, and I kept silent. My bones became brittle from my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer heat. In essence, what is he saying? He's saying, listen, I hit it and it was a pain in the rotunda. Right? I hid my sin and it affected my body. Listen, it does affect your body. Does sin affect your body? You ever heard of the movie Grumpy Old Men? Why do they call them grumpy? Because they're mean, right? Do they act happy and joyous and love each other? Let me ask you, as a Christian, are we to serve and love each other? Yes or no? Absolutely. Here's the question. And here's what Jonah got wrong. Because he didn't repent. He, he got it wrong because he grumpily served what God said to do, and he didn't want to do it. In other words, he was the grumpy old prophet that went in there with a poochy lip, totally self-contained, self-focused, and God said, you watch. And God performed a miracle in Nineveh. Sin that is unforgiven, sin that is lingered, sin that is hindered, sin that are not hindered, not impeded, sin that is allowed to live in our lives, this is what happens. My bones become brittle from my groaning. It's a pain. It's a heartache. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. Why is God's hand heavy on you? Why does he allow this groaning in our souls? Because he wants us to get it right. He wants us to enjoy the joy that God has given. Amen. God wants us to be joyous. 
Well, folks, part of the way of being joyous is ask for forgiveness of sins. Repent. Repent. You cannot carry that baggage around and not affect your life. You cannot do it. Let's face it. You are seeking repentance because God's Spirit has convicted you. We often blame others for our stresses and general moodiness. Why are you grumpy? Well, you should know. <laughs> right? <laughs> Why are you so mad? Oh, you should know. We tend to blame everybody else. It's always everybody else's fault. Is it not? We have gotten over the devil made me do it to everybody else made me do it. Our culture is saturated in non-confession. It's all somebody else's fault. It is. George Floyd, somebody else's fault. Was it just the police officer or did George Floyd play part of it? No one can hear you online and that's a blessing because we berated. Do you understand what I'm saying though? We always pin somebody else. We are, we stand naked before our God. Totally open. This is who I am. We are responsible for our demeanor, for our words, for our actions. In other words, like every president never does, the buck stops here. You ever hear a president say, I was wrong, or I'm sorry? No, instead, I never did that. Liar. We always blame everybody else. Many times we simply feel bad because we've done bad things. David describes physical and emotional symptoms associated with a guilty conscience. And a guilty conscience only lies in those that are born again, in a sense. Now, do, are, there, are there unsaved people who are guilty and they, they feel bad about it? Where's their motivation on? Our motivation needs to be to the Lord. Their motivation is, I got to look right. How many understand that? Does this please the Lord? If not, we need to confess. We must honestly assess the consequences of our sins. A drunkard is probably going to die in an accident or liver destruction. A smoker is literally going to die of emphysema or some kind of lung cancer. I watched my grandfather cough up his lungs, literally. Pieces of lung were coming up. I watched him die as he wanted another cigarette. Say, well, I'm not a drinker, I'm not a smoker. No, you're a liar. We all are. We don't always tell the truth. 
We talk bad about people behind their backs. That's all sin, just the same. And it does affect our bodies. And by the way, to be honest with you, too many twicks is a sin. Right? We're supposed to be taking care of our bodies. <clears throat> which we must honestly assess the consequences of our sins, which means assessing both personal consequences and the impact it has had and will come to have on others. And by the way, sin doesn't just affect you. Sin affects everybody around you. Everybody. Number two, verse 5a, it says this, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said I will to confess my transgressions to the Lord. Confess fully. Confess fully. Deep repentance demands full confession. Though it seems counterintuitive, the only way to be truly covered by Christ is to fully expose your sin. In the process of repentance, we must Fight to be utterly transparent before God about the depth and the breadth of our sin. Only ruthless honesty will suffice and lead to freedom and joy. You've all, we've all experienced that. The sin that besets us. We confess it, we get right, and it's like, whew, I feel good. Amen? Why? Because you're standing before an almighty God is right. He is your father. And by the way, he is the only father that you confess. Your heavenly father. There is no religious father. Amen. I'm talking anti-Catholic here, all right? You don't go into a phone booth and say, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. You get on your knees and look to God and say, God, this is what I've done. I am so sorry. Help me. Number four, verses five and through seven, it says, you took away the guilt of my sin. I might ask you, who can take away the guilt of sin? Where's the only place you can go to get the guilt of sin taken away. Some people think it's a Democrat party. Why? Because, hey, it's not a big deal. Go on with your life. You're free. There's nothing wrong with what you did. I truly appreciate one of the governors of a, of a state Here's the law he just put in. Well, not just, but put in a while ago. You destroy the, or you allow people to, to have anarchy and to destroy your city, your city pays for it. Nobody else pays for it. Why? Sin has consequences. And those consequences are yours, the perpetrators. Amen. The reality is, God is the only one that can take away sin. 
I don't care how many people you let out of the jail because of their wrongdoings. It doesn't matter. Their sins are not forgiven until they stand before Almighty God, knees on the ground, and say, Father, I have sinned. Please forgive me. Amen. Goes on. You took the guilt away. Only God can do that. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you at a time when you may be found. When the great floodwaters come and you're inundated with all this wickedness and sin, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. Amen. You are my refuge. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joys. You give me deliverance. Adam and Eve hid. How? How did Adam and Eve try to fix their sin? With what? Lettuce. How's that going to work? When you have dinosaurs that eat lettuce. Regardless, did God fix that problem? What did God do to fix the problem of their nakedness that they now realize because of their sin? So in other words, because of their sin, they're wake, they're, yeah, okay. Because of their sin, they're wearing lettuce, which doesn't work. And now what's going to happen? Now, God's going to show them the real penalty of sin. Death. Shed blood. Your sin demands a covering of death. And what did God give Adam and Eve? The first sacrifice we know of in Scripture. Whatever animal it was. God gave them the clothing of skins. Self-made coverings, they tried to mask their sin and shame. We too often hide behind self-made righteousness in order to make ourselves appear more acceptable than we really are. If you want to change, to really change, which by the way, that's the mark of true repentance. It's not... I'm caught, I'll confess. It's, I am sorry, I confess. Amen. I know this is wrong. It's not that I've been caught. It's that this is wicked before an almighty God. I confess this before you and hide in you because only God has the antidote for sin. It's not just enough to repent over overt sins. It's not enough to say, I admit to my wrong behaviors. All kinds of people repent that way, especially religious people with an image to maintain. Matter of fact, matter of fact I will be honest with you, I think that's why there's this thing that some religion called those little white lies. As if they're acceptable. Every lie is a sin and an affront to God. And by the way, God is the one that sacrificed his son for that sin. And so what you're doing is saying, whatever. 
to God's sacrificial son. Is that wicked or what? It's not enough to repent. Christians, a Christian just doesn't repent of their outward sins that everybody sees, but all of their attempts to hide behind shoddy, self-made righteousness. Stop hiding in your effort. Hide in God. My forgiveness is from God. Not A, B, and C, or not John, Bill, and Susan, but God. Amen. It's God. Hide in God. Not in our religiosity. By the way, who hid in their religiosity that we just read about last week? Jonah. It's exactly what he did. He didn't confess his sin to God for disobeying what a direct command from him. Instead, he said, I go to the temple and pray. I'm not like those bad people. That smug arrogance overwhelmed him. Number five, verse 11. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. How can you be sure that God will forgive you? And by the way, does God forgive? Is there a sin that God cannot forgive? No. God can forgive anything and everything. How can you be sure that God will forgive you? Because He is the God of unfailing love. Recall and find assurance in the great promises He has made throughout history and how they have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He promised to Adam and Eve to crush the enemy. By the way, has Satan been given a fatal blow? At the cross of Christ, he did. And one day, he will be totally smushed and thrown into the hellfire for eternity. Praise God for that. His promise to Abraham to claim and protect the people, did he do that? We even see today, God is God protecting Israel even today? The very fact that Israel still exists is a big deal. So many people want to wipe them off the face of the earth. His promise to Moses to provide a way for sinful humans to meaningfully relate to a holy God. His promise to David to provide a once-for-all eternal king for his people. All throughout history, right up to the moment when we are repenting, God has been saying and continues to say, I love you, I care for you, I forgive you. Amen. I will not fail you. God said it well. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous one. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. How many love verse 11? How many like being glad? Can I see some smiling faces? I feel like I'm in a grumpy old men movie. Be glad. Why? God forgives. Be glad. Why? You're righteous in the sight of God. Be glad. Why? You have an upright heart. By the way, does God love cleansing? Clean. I've been working with my wife for multiple weeks on 
the garden. <laughs> and I have not done much. I've done some. And then I go to work and she stays home and does more. Then comes home and then we do more. The reality is, do you know how many times a jar or a can or a pan or a pot gets cleaned? How much? A lot. I'm, I, I'm thinking that I'm going to have to go buy another one because it's going to wear out from a sponge. Reality is, all of us want our chicken pot pie in a clean pot, right? I can't go out and shovel manure with the pot and then come back and fill it with chicken pot pie and serve it, can I? Why? It'll affect your body. It'll affect how you feel about me. There's all these effects. God wants a clean vessel to use. Does he not? When there is sin in your life, that's not a clean vessel and you will not be used of God as he plans on using you or desires to use you. Let's put it that way. God wants us to repent to him specifically. Dear Lord, I lied to Micah today. I didn't, but I'm just saying, okay? I lied to Micah today. That was wrong. It was wicked. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. And help me to refrain from lying to Micah. Amen? How are you going to do that? Next time you go up there, Lord, how am I going to do this? Maybe, maybe instead of just letting my emotions spew out my mouth, maybe I'll just stop and say, okay, hold it, hold it. Let me take a second. How many of you know what I'm saying? Breathe, think about it, and be honest with Micah. Amen? But unless you have a plan, how am I going to change that? God helps us. Amen. So, those are six ways repentance is. It's, the idea is be honest about your need. We have all have a need. Confess it fully. Hide in God, not in what other people think. It doesn't matter. Hide in God and then seize the hope. The hope of what? God is our hope. Without Him, there is no repentance. There is no forgiveness of sins. There's nothing. He is our hope. So, let me ask you as we turn to looking at repentance, not only for the Christian, but for the unbeliever also. Have you ever been asked what you would do differently if you had to live your life all over again? How many of you, just think about that for a second. If I could live my life all over again, would you be different? How many would say, Amen. Don't we all have regrets? There's not a person in here who does not have regrets. Certainly as Christians who understand our sin, we would relish the chance to relive some of our pasts. Perhaps we have words we'd love to take back or painful scenes we'd love to rewrite. These desires hint at our need for repentance. 
The very fact that that is your mind and heart, that is the first step to repentance. I need, I've got problems, I'm not perfect. Too many times in too many churches, it's filled with perfect people that know they're perfect and tell everybody they're perfect. The reality is, that's not even the church. That's a religious hall. Does that make sense? Church knows we're all sinners because we're all honest, right? And we need God for help. And the best place to be is on our knees. Certainly as Christians who understand our sin, we would relish the chance to relive our past. These desires hint of our need for repentance. It is virtually important that we understand the biblical concept of repentance. It's central to all of Scripture. Try to preach any of Scripture without repentance. How's that going to work? Repentance is there somewhere, somehow. It's always there. It's never lost. It's central to understanding all of Scripture. Jesus said, Mark chapter 1, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is what? At hand. Therefore what? Repent and what? Believe in the gospel. This theme reoccurs throughout the New Testament. When people listen to Christ or to the preaching of the apostles, they would often respond by asking, what should we do? Those answers were multifaceted, but they all had the same theme. The answers came, believe in Jesus Christ. Believe and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Repent and believe. Amen. Those are the words that were being used. Repentance is part of faith. You cannot have conversion without repentance. Not possible. Paul, Peter, Christ himself, and every other author, there must be repentance. Not only for the believer, but also for the unbeliever. The gospel or the concept of repentance is so central to apostolic preaching is it is it's extremely important to fully understand it. Repentance comes from the word metanoia. Now what does that sound? Metanoia. Anybody know what that is? Well, the word meta... Meta is beside or with or after. <clears throat> what is metaphysics? It's what's behind or the effects or visible. Um, it's the study of those, like metaphysics is the study of physics, is the study of those elements of nature that are visible, perceivable, and physical. Metaphysics 
is an attempt to reach beyond the realm of the physical world to the transcendent realm. What's behind physics? What affects physics? What's, what makes up physics? That's the idea of metaphysics. The root noia, what does that sound like? Noia is the verb form of the noun that we find frequently in the Bible as nuas. Or the idea is your mind. Your mind. So it's what's behind the mind, what's alongside of the mind, what's with the mind, what's beside the mind. So it's not just mental. Amen. There's more to it than that. Simply, the Greek word for mind is naya, nuas. So in its simplest form, to understand metanoia, to break it down, it's the mind afterward. Now, what does that mean? The mind afterward. The mind afterward. Let me ask you this. If you were to, if you had never seen a fire engine, and you're in the parade, and they turn on the fire engine, what would your afterward thoughts be about when you see a fire engine? What would it be? Plug your ears, right? Plug your ears. You know that it's going to hurt. Plug your ears. That's the after mind, or now that you know mind. Well, here's the reality. Did anybody before salvation know Jesus Christ? No. Did Jesus tell him who he was? I am the son of, I am the deliverer. I am the I am. Did John tell who Jesus was? Did Peter tell who Jesus was? Is not Jesus basically the gospel? Absolutely. He came, he died for our sins, he rose again, right? Corinthians 15. It is the gospel. Now that you know the gospel, <laughs> you have afterthoughts. What are those afterthoughts? Well, as you grow in the Lord, you're going to have lots of them, right? Man, should I be doing this as a believer? How many have ever thought of that? Absolutely. And that's growth. But the repentance at salvation is, I never knew you, nor do I believe you, or I say, yes, you are the Son. I accept you. I believe in you. I put my trust in you. I know something now that I didn't know before. How many understand that? Some people want to use the term, and it's okay if you can define it, but to change mind. I don't like that very much because most people then think it's just a thought process. It's more than that. It's a change of heart, your complete being. I am no longer my own. I am bought with a price. Do we believe that after our salvation? Yes or no? We know that he bought us with a price, that I am his now. This afterthought, this repentance, I recognize it was wrong, and therefore I'm going to change it. Now, do you need to change all your sins to be saved? No, that's not even possible. But do you think differently now? 
Here's the Son of God, the perfect Lamb of God. Here I am, the perfect sinner of Satan. Ephesians 2 tells us that. Do I now say, that's wrong, this is right, I embrace you. Does that make sense? It's changing your mind about the Lord. It's changing, and which then changes your whole being. It's a significant changing of, of your thoughts and your intents and your, all that happens. And what is that, by the way? If you are in Ephesians chapter 2, we can talk about that for a second. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how that we were, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith. Remember? And that not of yourself, it is a gift from God. What's that word, it? What is it? It's a pronoun, right? That pronoun has to modify something. It modifies usually the, the first object behind it. Correct? And what is it? Faith. What is faith? Some people say faith is just believing God will do what he says he'll do. Is that what faith is? Or is there more to faith? Does faith, does conversion equal repentance and faith? Yes or no? Repentance and belief. Yes, it does. This idea of changing one's mind is a process that starts at the moment of salvation. It's called sanctification. We've already realized that, wow, I'm a sinner. By the way, do you need to realize you're a sinner to be saved? Yes or no? Absolutely. I've sinned against God. Is that repentance? Absolutely. We just talked about that. I have sinned against the Almighty God. That's repentance. If you have not sinned against Almighty God, then what's the point of salvation? You don't need help. You're good to go, right? Generally speaking, metanoia has to do with the changing one's mind with respect to one's behavior. It contains the idea of ruing. To rue means to, to regret a particular action. Let me ask you, after you were saved, do you feel bad when you lie to somebody? Even if it's right, do you feel bad about it? Right, that's evidence of salvation. And we want to repent and get rid of it, right? Absolutely, and God will take care of that. The feeling most often associated with repentance in Scripture is that of remorse or regret, a sense of sorrow for having acted in a particular way. Ephesians 2 tells us in verse 1, it says that we were wicked people, we were dead men walking and, and God, and we, we, were, we were the slime of this earth, uh, uh, the son of Belial, just a wicked, horrible person. And then it says, but what? Verse 4, but God. Why does he say, but God? Because it's not about our works, because it goes on later in Ephesians chapter 2. It's not of works, lest any man should what? Boast. You cannot clean up your life good enough to be saved. You must repent 
and believe in Jesus Christ for that salvation. The concept of repentance is deeply rooted in the experience of the Old Testament Israel. When scholars examine the Old Testament understanding of repentance, they often make a distinction between two kinds of repentance. The first is a religious or a cultic uh, uh, aversion, and that would be Sproul's word, cultic. I would call it religious, uh, ritualistic repentance. And the second is prophetic repentance. In our day, the word cultic is very misleading, so that's why I don't like to use it, but religious. So, how did God is the one who institutes all the religion in Israel, did he not? All the ceremonies, did he not do that? Yes, he instituted all of those. Did he institute Israel to follow them? There were instructions of how to pray how to offer sacrifices, how to carry out um, temple worship, how to, how to do this, how to do that, what, what, what celebrations should we have there, or what uh, the, the different um, burnt offerings. God would forgive sin and peace with Him would be restored in the community if they followed His instructions. Repentance rituals in the Old Testament, often included in a call of fasting during a solemn assembly. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, they were first brought before the tabernacle and then later to the temple. The prophet would announce God's judgment and call for the general fast. To turn God's wrath away, everyone would go without food for a particular period of time as a nation, national sign of repentance. You've heard of sackcloth and ashes, have you not? Again, a ritual thing. Or put it on an uncomfortable cloth so it reminds us of what we've done wrong. Some to even take ashes and spread them over their clothes or across their foreheads. This ritualistic process was a sign of self-abasement. For example, after God spoke to Job from a whirlwind, Job said, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I, don't want to re I want to remember this so I don't do it again. Let me ask you, do we keep sinning the same way over and over and over again? Then we got to make it real because it's going to continue over and over and over again until we do. We need, as believers, we must be repentant. So the cultic practices and rituals of the Old Testament allowed the people of Israel to express, verbalize, and demonstrate their sorrow for sin. What happened to the Nineveh king? What did he do? He adopted the ritualistic repentance of Israel and he commanded that the whole town do what? Sit in ashes and, and sackcloth. He's, that, he told him to do that. In the Roman Catholic Church, a whole system of penance is tied into the sacraments of the church. Now, why is that? How do we do this today? How many of you have ever seen a Christian in sackcloth and ashes? 
Are there godly people that have never sat in sackcloth and ashes? Absolutely. So how do we repent today? If that's what their religion required of them at that time, what about today? How do we repent? How do we show a broken heart for having offended God? How do we demonstrate this in the life of the church? The problem is when we do all these external things, they come just that, external. Remember the, 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 the uh, even, even, a, even a confessional booth, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Is that external? I can't tell what the man's doing or woman's doing in that heart, with their heart. I have no idea. But I can tell you this, sin does affect you. We should be broken over our sin. Amen? It's an affront to God, the man who died for you. We should be on our knees and ask for forgiveness from God. And guess what? We should then stand on all twos. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. Now help me keep away from this sin which doth so easily beset us. Amen? And how are we going to do that? We're going to have to change things. Things have to change. I can guarantee you, Mr. Zarin does not go in the bars anymore. Amen? Amen? Some lying. Some people just, okay, not going to say anything. Step back, take a breath, go away somewhere, come back and talk intelligently and biblically. Amen. There are ways to do this. God has helped us. But what does then the picture of repentance really look like? And to be honest with you, Joel and Amos. Jeremiah, Isaiah, and I will tell you one of the greatest ones is David gives us a perfect picture of what it looks like. And I am jumping all over the place, so I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm going to skip a couple things. I apologize, but let's get to verse 51, or chapter 51. Listen to David's repentance. One of the psalms that David wrote after he was confronted by Nathan says this, and I think it's phenomenal. 32 is phenomenal. 51 is even better. Nathan declared that David had grievously sinned against God in taking of Bathsheba to be his wife in the murder of her husband Uriah. Now, can you imagine David? Here's David confronting the man of God, the prophet Nathan, right? And Nathan's here. Hey, how you doing, Nate? How's it going? Everything's going well, right? Well, I got to tell you a story. Oh, what's wrong? Yeah, David, you know what's wrong. You just murdered somebody. You just had uh, uh, adultery with somebody. You know what's wrong. Did Nathan say that? No. See, Nathan was, or David was just as smug and arrogant as most of us are when confronted with sin. 
Oh, you're going to tell me about this, huh? Tell me about the story about a man who had somebody else's wife and then went out and murdered his wife. Oh, Nathan looks at him and says, David, what does he say? You are the man. Do you think his countenance dropped? Do you think his heart was in his throat? Someone faced me with my sin. He begins in verse 1 of chapter 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. That's what tells us. Is God a God of perfect love, unfailing love? Yes. Then he will forgive. Amen. That's why he died on the cross. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. It says it right there. Here we see the element that is a fundamental to repentance. Usually when a person becomes aware of his sin and turns from it, he casts himself on the mercy of God. The first fruit of authentic repentance is the recognition of our profound need for mercy. There is not a person in here who doesn't need mercy. Amen. We are all in the same boat. Too many times, we're too smug. Oh, you did that? How many have seen that? Or felt that? You wicked person. You know what? I'm a sinner too. As one man said, salvation is simply one beggar giving to another beggar, or the, giving the gospel to somebody is one beggar giving another beggar bread. We're all in this together. We're all sinners. There's not a one person in here who doesn't need to repent by the time tonight rolls around. Not one. We all are sinners. He goes on. So he, he says, listen, you have mercy. I need your mercy. I need your love. I need you to blot out my transgression because I'm in a horrible state of affair today. Literally. So what does he do? So he says in verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Why does he ask God for that? Because God's the only one that can. Amen? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David in verse 3 gives us another one. Psalm 51 says this, For I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Whew. Was David, did David, was David close to the Lord? Yes or no? Absolutely. Would you consider David one of the greatest men in all Scripture? Yeah. And what does he say about himself? My sin is ever before me. I will tell you this. When you start knowing God and loving God, you will realize the sins you didn't know were sins. Amen? But, but, but I tell you what, if you're going to keep involved in the world, in the, you're, going to, you're just going to overlook the sins that easily beset you. Draw closer to him. And he goes on, he says, I know I'm guilty. 
Verse 3, I know I'm guilty. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now let me ask you, did the effects of that sin only affect God or did they affect Bathsheba? They affect Uriah? They affected the whole town? Absolutely. But it was God that needed the forgiveness, the, the repentance. Amen? Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He has sinned horribly against Uriah, against Uriah's families and friends and Bathsheba, the whole nation of God's people. But David understands that sin ultimately, ultimately is an offense against a holy God. Because God is the only perfect being in the universe. As God is the judge of heaven and earth, all sin is defined in the terms of transgression of God's law. There is no such thing as a little white lie. That is a lie against an almighty God. They're all wrong. They all are damning us to hell. He continues in verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David is essentially saying, Oh God, you have every right to judge me. And it is clear that I deserve nothing more than your judgment and your wrath. David acknowledges that God is blameless and has every right to judge him. There's no bargaining or negotiating with God like I truly believe Jonah was bargaining. Verses 5 and 6, Behold, I was, wrought, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. He's saying, listen, David, not only does God, does God want the truth from us, he wants it from deep within us. David acknowledges that he has failed to do what God has commanded and that his obedience is often more external ceremony rather than acts that follow out of a center of his being. David cries out in verse 7, right on the verge of verse 6, not only was I a sinner since birth, but purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. We love that verse, right? That verse is the begging of repentance to an almighty God from David. How many of us have repented to the Lord that way? Lord, search my heart and know me. You know my inner things. Help me. I am wrong. I am wicked. I have done this wicked deed. How many really have, have we really, do we really do that? He goes on. Notice that God doesn't say, God, wait a minute. Before I continue this dialogue of prayer, I have, a, I have to clean my hands. I have to get washed. He can't do it on his own. That's the issue. Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. In other words, I want to forgive you, but you need to ask. You need to... Plead with me, and I will give you complete forgiveness. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. 
God is pleased to clean up what he finds in our dirty heart. Then David says in verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. In other words, deliver me from this guilt. By the way, we usually don't deliver ourselves from our guilts. And it's because of pride. And it's because of a poor view of who God is. The reality is, He is the one that wants to make us whole. He is the one that demands, that wants to clean us. If God can forgive us and we can't forgive ourselves, who do we think we are? Literally, we think we're God. He says, God, you've crushed me. My bones are broken. It wasn't Satan or Nathan that broke my bones, but you broke my bones when you convicted me of my guilt. So I stand before you as a broken man. The only way I can go on is if you heal me and return me and gladness, return joy and gladness to me. Verse 9 and 10, he says, Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. The only way to have a clean heart is by a work of a divine creator. Only God can create a clean heart. He does create clean hearts by blotting out sin. David then cries, verse 11, Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your spirit from me. David realizes that the worst thing he could do is not be in the presence of God. By the way, there are times in your life when you know you're sinning. And the last thing you want to do is come to church. I will tell you, I'm not calling you a name. I'm telling you what kind of action that is. That is a stupid action. Amen. Folks, the church is where you need to be. We love each other, right? We are not hierarchical with each other. We are all sinners. We all face our demons. It's together with each other and encouragement of each other that we need. Amen? By the way, a worldly psychiatrist isn't going to give you help that you need. Amen? The word of God will. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. The type of response should mark the lives of those who are converted. Verse 12 through 13. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. And then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Verse 15 through 17, we'll close with this. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. The true nature of godly repentance is found in the phrase, 
A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In other words, you can sit here and you can give your offering. You can sit here and, and, and do your service for the Lord. But if you, what is the greatest joy to the Lord is the brokenness of, your, of our ineptness to reach the magnitude of who God is. That's the greatest sacrifice you can give him. Here I am, an open vessel. Clean me to be used by you. Why do people, why do most, what's the number one reason, the number one word that is used why people do not come to church? The church is full of hypocrites. Here's the deal. We're all sinners. And when we act like we're not, we're hypocrites. Do you know what the world hates? Smugness. Do you know what God hates? Smugness. Why are churches dying by the hundreds, thousands? Smugness. I will tell you, we're all in this together. We all sin. Every last one of us do. We need each other. I would encourage you to repent to the Lord God Almighty like David did. Obviously, how many think 32 and 51 are phenomenal passages about repentance? Amen? Wow! They are fantastic. Reality is we're too proud to do that. We don't want people to know what we really are like. You know what? We're all different. We are totally different. I tell you what, you put Micah and, and Tim in a room, and you, you take me to Micah's job, I will go bonkers. I would go bonkers. You put Micah in my job, he might go bonkers. We are totally different. I love the, oh man, I love Micah so much. He is the antithesis of me personality-wise. This quiet, reserved, thinking, processing, yet loves the Lord with all his heart. And then there's Tim. Right? It doesn't make either one of those sins. They're different, and God uses them in a different place. But I will tell you, both Micah and Tim need repentance and forgiveness. Every day. And if we would repent every day and allow God to clean our hearts, clean our souls, clean our lives, can you imagine what this church could do for others? Realizing that, you know what, that guy that's got piercings from his tippy toes to his man bun, and he's got all this stuff on him that it just kind of, we just like, oh, oh, oh. When we realize, you know what? That man needs the Lord just like I needed the Lord. Do you know what's more repulsive to God than what I just pictured you? A Christian that thinks he's got it all. A Christian that knows it all. That's more repulsive than someone that what we would call, and I'm not trying to be rude or wrong or anything, I'm not saying they're even sins, 
what, what, what many Christians call, well, that's bad. How many understand that? Man, it's a clean heart God wants. And He wants it from all of us as Christians. And if you're not a believer today, guess what? Repent about Christ. Repent about sin. What does that mean? Think differently about Christ. He is Lord and Savior. Amen. Think differently about your sins. Those are sins, and they are damning you to hell. And there's no other help without Jesus Christ. Repent and believe. Confession demands faith and repentance. Christians, our life on this earth is full of, should be full of repentance every day. Clean vessel, get out those pots, start scrubbing. Let the Lord scrub his pot that he's using right now and see if you can be that pot that he goes to all the time when he wants something done because he's cleaned it. Amen? I want to be used of God. I know you do. In order to be used of God greatly, you need to be repentant as Christians. Amen? Mr. Zarin, can you close us a word of prayer, please?